Well, today we actually are going to be talking about that song that we just together sang together, Joy to the World, the Lord has Come. Because that song, the words of that song are ones that certainly are a, a common song, one that a lot of people know, a lot of people sing, and in fact it's being sung by people that don't even know Christ at all, but yet at Christmas time they, they sing the words of that song and it's, it's kind of become part of the fabric of Christmas. I was in New York this week. I went up on Wednesday with uh, Nicholas and Natalie, and, and we were there just for the day. We were, you know, just seeing all the lights and the trees and all that kind of stuff. And, and on the side of the building of Saks Fifth Avenue, right there in downtown uh, New York City, guess what song was playing as they were doing a light show on the side of that building, that, that store in New York City? Joy to the World. It's an amazing thing that that song has become such a, a fabric, such a part of Christmas. But I don't ever want us to miss exactly what that song means. I don't ever want us to forget that that song is, is not really about this Christmas season at all. What it's really about is it's about the gospel. It's about the picture of the gift that God gave to mankind, the gift of his son that we all desperately needed. That Jesus came to, to give us hope and to give us life, to give us forgiveness, to give us salvation. That the picture of Christmas cannot just be simply wrapped up with a bow on December 25th in a manger in Bethlehem. That the, the story of the gift of Christmas is something that literally it goes all the way up through the cross and the empty tomb. That we can't lose sight of what Christmas is really all about. And so today we're going to be talking about what that song really kind of embodies, what it means and what it shares with us and what we can walk away with theological truth, doctrinal grounding that comes from that song so that we can understand God's word that Jesus came to save us all. Now this song was published first back in 1719. And it was actually published uh, by using the melody line that came from Handel's Messiah. But uh, as Isaac Watts kind of wrote the words to the song and put them together, he published them in his book. And I want you to hear the name of this book. Because, I mean, this is like, this is a marketing, this is marketing wizardry, wizardry like you've never heard before, okay? So this song was published in the book. And listen to the book, name of the book. The book was called, The Psalms of David, uh, Imitated in the Language of the New Testament and Applied to the Christian State of Worship. That was the name of the book. That's a book that's going to make you go on Amazon and buy it. Am I right about that? All of you right now are like, man, I'm so glad I waited to do my Christmas shopping because that's the book that I want to get. And I know probably someone's going to try to find that book and give it to me for Christmas. Hey, seriously, give it to someone who really needs it, Okay. I mean, the, the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Now, obviously, uh, that was song was published back in 1719. It's, you know, it's been a big song. It's kind of literally gone all the way up until today. Popular. It's famous. It is the most published Christmas song of any other song. Now, that doesn't really make sense because we think of other songs that are, that are more popular, songs that, you know, like uh, your grandma got run over by a reindeer, something like that is more popular. But this one actually is the most published Christmas song of any other song. And I believe it is because whether consciously or subconsciously, God wants to make sure we never miss out on the story of Christmas. And so today what I want to do out of Matthew chapter 1 is just kind of give you a very clear picture of exactly what it is that this song tells, a story that it provides to us. But before we get to Matthew chapter 1, I ask you to turn there. But in Luke chapter 2, I want to give you just these couple of verses. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. In other words, the picture that the angel, the heavenly hosts that were there as they were proclaiming to the shepherds in the field, as they were making that declaration, as they were celebrating this birth of Jesus, this gift that God had given to all mankind, the words that, that emanated from their hearts as they were there, frightening to the shepherds even. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Joy to the world. Now, let's jump into Matthew chapter 1. Now, let's start like at the beginning. Like, where does this whole story begin? Where does it come from? And why is it that joy came to the world in the form of that little baby? We start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, don't ever forget this, you ought to underline it in your Bible, God with us. Today in our culture, a lot of people wonder about the relevancy of God. A lot of people today, you've heard the stories, you've seen the news reports of, uh, of kind of this growing demographic in our society and our culture of people that they call the nuns. Now, I'm not talking about those, you know, those ladies in the black and white who serve in the Catholic Church. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S, the ones who don't believe in God at all, who don't believe in the, the value of the church. You're kind of just like, I don't care. They just kind of walked away, just not that important. People who have no spiritual grounding, no no value whatsoever in this thing called God. But yet this entire story of Christmas is all about the fact that it is God with us. Not God far away, not God distant, not God where you can't see Him, that you can't hear Him, that you can't talk to Him, that you can't be encouraged or impacted by Him, that you can't be led by Him or guided by Him, directed by Him. But rather the story of Christmas is that it is God with us. And I don't know about you, but that's an encouraging statement. That's something that brings me great joy when we talk about joy to the world because when you talk about joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's the idea of God has come to us and he's with us every single day. At a time of year when people, statistics will tell you that suicide rates go up because people feel alone. That depression is at an all-time high during this time of year. It's because they've forgotten that they are never alone. That God is with us. And that when he is with us, yeah, joy to the world. Because he has come. So let's talk about, if we can, just for a few minutes here today, this idea of, of God coming down to man, of God with us. 
that why his birth brought so much joy. And the first thing that we can see from this passage is just simply this, is that this actually was certainly from God. This wasn't something that was made up by man. Somebody didn't sit down and say, you know, this is be a pretty good story. This is not something that was told by Hollywood. This was not, you know, something that came up by, by some screenwriter thinking, man, this would be a really cool, like, dynamic. Let's, let's create a Hallmark movie here. Let, let's, let's tell this story. And I think it'd be kind of cool if we can kind of, you know, bring the divine and, and have it actually, you know, be in the presence of man. This is certainly from God. Let's go back to this passage, if we can, in Luke chapter 1, or Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, in verse 20, it says this, But while he, while Joseph thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but if you are a guy who is engaged to a woman and you find out that that woman is having a child and that child is not yours, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, God speaks to you through an angel and says, hey, listen, don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. I know this is like a totally different thing that you were expecting, I know it's like turned your world upside down here. I know it's like not the picture, not the, the, the journey that you were looking forward to. But don't be afraid because this is of God. Can you imagine what must have gone through Joseph's mind? Like, like can you imagine? Like, put yourself in his position for a moment. You're engaged to Mary. I mean, this is like an exciting time. You, you've, you've found the woman that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so, man, you went out and you, you know, went to the store and you found that perfect ring. I don't know if they did rings back in those days. They probably put nose rings in. I don't know what they did back in those days. Or actually, they probably gave a cow and a chicken to the father. That's probably what they really did. It's probably something like that. But, but, I mean, you found, like, your prize cow and, like, the best chicken, the big, fat, and hormone-ridden chicken that you could find, and you gave it to this woman's parents and said, I want to marry your daughter. And, man, this is exciting. I mean, the journey is just beginning. And then you find out that she's pregnant. The Bible tells us that they had not yet been together, so he knew it was not his, and so he's like confused. He's, he's probably angered, probably upset, but yet he wanted to do the right thing. It says that he was a just man, or basically he was a, he was a good man. He was a man of character and integrity. Someone that, that didn't want to embarrass her, did not want to destroy her future, destroy her reputation. And so it says that he wanted to, to put her away privately. Now, that's not like code for what they would do in the mob in New York, right? You know, if you ever heard that about the mob in New York, that they want to put you away privately, that's probably mean they're going to put concrete around your, your, your ankles and throw you in the East River. That's probably what they're going to do. That's not what, what God is talking about here in his word. Like Joseph wanted to try to make this as easy as he possibly could for Mary. And then all of a sudden, that angel shows up and says, hey, listen. Mary, she's, she's, she was chosen. Don't, don't be afraid to take her as your wife because, because that baby that is growing inside of her is not like a normal baby. This is not like a story that you, like you assume that it is. Mary hasn't been a promiscuous woman. She hasn't been bad. She hasn't been sneaking around behind your back. This is of God. Now, the reason that's so relevant, so important, and so powerful is just simply this, is that every time that we celebrate Christmas, every time that we get kind of consumed by the consumerism of Christmas, 
Every time you're driving up and down Wards Road here in Lynchburg and, and you're just naturally drawn to pull into Sam's or Walmart or Target because they're having a sale at Christmas time. Every time that you, you know, you, you see all the traffic lined up, every time that you're thinking about all of the gifts that you've got to buy and all the things that you've got just so limited amount of time left to do it, when all of that stuff just becomes so overwhelming, you have to remember that the reason we celebrate Christmas is not because of gifts and it's not because of lights. It's because this is certainly of God. It's the picture of, yes, joy to the world because the Lord has come. That God has literally put on flesh and become like one of us. That he lived on this earth for 33 years just like you and I live. The Bible tells us facing all the same things that you and I face. Tempted in all ways as we are. You think, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? How was he tempted? Well, you look in God's word and it talks about the temptations that we all face. The the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. You go into the, the stories in the scripture when Satan tempted Jesus and you go and you walk through that, that, that narrative that took place when, when Satan was tempting Jesus. And you see that in all three of those areas, Satan tempted Jesus in those areas to try to get him to give in, try to get him to, to quit, try to give him, get him to the place where he would fall victim to those temptations. And you know what he never did, of course, is he never gave in. Why? Because he was not like you and me. He is God. It's important to remember that because God did that for us. So we see certainly this message, this story of the birth of Christ, man, it's incredible because it's not a story that was written by man. It's a story that literally came from God. And you talk about the faith of Joseph. You talk about the idea that we just read in that passage that that angel appeared and said, hey, listen, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Just continue down the road that you were thinking the thing you were dreaming about, what you gave your prized cow away for. I mean, you just keep walking down that road. You marry Mary because she's awesome because this child is of God. Can you imagine the faith of Joseph? Like, number one, he believed that angel, right? Number two, he was willing to publicly continue to marry this woman knowing that other people might whisper behind his back, look, she's pregnant. It's not his. What's going on? He was willing to move forward. Why? Because he was obedient to God. So man, don't ever forget. Christmas, yeah, it's awesome, it's fun, it's great. But this thing is of God. But not only that, we see secondly here, it was exactly what was needed. This entire picture of Christmas, this story of this baby born in the manger in Bethlehem is exactly what was needed. Look in verse 22 and 23. I'm sorry, in verse 21. It says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now that word will there used twice in that verse is a promise from God. That, that verse will, that word will is something that, that we can take to the bank because God is making this promise. God through the angel appearing to, to Joseph, making that very clear statement when he says these words that she will bring forth a son and he will save his people from their sins. In other words, it is exactly what the world needed. It's exactly what was necessary. It's exactly what all of mankind desperately needed. Why? Because Romans chapter 3 tells us, for all have sinned. 
Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when, when sin entered into the world, when they were taken outside of the garden, never again to be in that perfect place that God had prepared for them, which, by the way, is a picture of an image of heaven. In John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, it's a picture of what God had already prepared for us in the, the picture of the Garden of Eden. But we messed it up because of our sin, because of our, our lack of obedience, because of our, our unwillingness to, to do exactly what it is that God told us to do. And so because we were unwilling to obey God, sin entered into the world, and therefore every person that's ever been born since is born with a sinful heart, born with a sinful nature, born with the natural pull to do that which dishonors God. And so in this passage, in verse 21, when the angel uh, appears to Joseph and makes that clear declaration, a promise from God, she will bring forth a son, and he will save his people from their sins. Here's what that is. That's a reminder that we can trust God. There are so many of us in this room who have gotten to the place where we've thought, let's be honest, God can't forgive me anymore. I've blown it too much. I've messed up way too many times. There are so many people in the world I've had the opportunity of, of talking with and praying with and trying to, to, to encourage people who have had that very statement as part of their heart. Like, like, you don't know what I've done. And my answer is always the same. It doesn't matter what you've done. And aren't you glad that's true? Because, I listen, I, I'll be honest with you. We'll look around this room. There's a lot of wonderful, godly people here. I mean, I look around, I see so many faces of people that I know, and I know they're just godly men and women, just great, great people. It's awesome. But you know what? Every single one of our stories are the same. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you might be sitting there saying, yes, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but what I have done is not nearly as bad as what that other person has done. Like, like I've not done what they've done. Like, I, you know, I just like little, small, little sin, right? I mean, I just occasionally mess up. Those people, like, they're bad over there. And I'm not pointing to that side of the room. Like, like the, the, us against them. I'm not talking about that. But I mean, like the people of the world, man, they're so horrible, so terrible. Look what they've done. Look how they've acted. I mean, yes, well, I've sinned, but man, it's nothing like them. Did you know there are no degrees with sin, of sin with God? That if you have sinned, that you're just as equal and just as bad as Charles Manson or Ted Bundy. That your sin is just as bad as theirs. The consequences are different. Like you're going to pay a different price for that. If you lie to your mom or your dad or you lie to your spouse about something that's minor, like one of those little white lies that we so often love to, you know, kind of segment away. Like it's not that big of a deal, right? That sin is just as bad as murder. That sin is just as bad as adultery. That sin is just as bad as, as homosexuality or, or whatever it might be, looking at pornography. Well, whatever you want to, like kind of drugs, well, whatever you want to put in that, they're all the same. Sin is sin is sin. All sin is equal before God. Consequences, different. But all sin is equal before God. And so when I read this verse in verse 21, which has become kind of the, the Charlie Brown kind of nature of Christmas, where it's just kind of part of the season, but we never really kind of dig into what it means. God has told us he will save us from our sin. Joy to the world. I mean, does that bring joy to your heart, knowing that he will save us from our sin? I hope it does, because that's the reason that he came. 
It's exactly what was needed. The third thing we see from this, this story, this narrative, is that it was always God's plan. Like this was always God's plan. This wasn't something he just came up with as a Hail Mary. Actually, I shouldn't use that term in this. this talking about Mary. Just for, just, you know, like this wasn't his plan B. We'll go with that one, right? This wasn't like the, the, the thing that he came up with. Like, you know what? Things have messed up. The whole garden thing, it didn't work. You know, they've sinned. They've blown it. So, so hey, Jesus, uh, Holy Spirit, come here. Let's have a little meeting here. Uh, why don't we do this? That's not what God did. This was always God's plan. From the beginning of creation, it was always God's plan. Go back to verse 22 uh, of this passage we're reading today, Matthew chapter 1. So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, it says here what was written by the prophet. What does that mean? Well, it was given through the prophet going all the way back to 740 B.C., or about 735 years before the story of Mary and Joseph in the manger in Bethlehem, about 735 years before Isaiah wrote the words that the virgin will bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now think about that. Now, let's kind of rewind like backtrack all the way back to 735 B.C. when Isaiah is sitting there and he writes these words. He, he, he gives this prophecy. Can you imagine how the people thought he was crazy? Like seriously, Isaiah, like what have you been smoking? What have you been drinking, Isaiah, that the virgin is going to have a child? That's impossible. That's not going to happen. There's no way that could ever happen. You're nuts. You're crazy. But yet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote those words. That one day in the future, the virgin will bear a son. And that son that will be born will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In other words, that this will not be a birth like any other birth. That this birth will literally be of God. But it doesn't even stop there. You actually can push rewind and you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, listen to these words. God speaking to Satan, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now most scholars would say that this was the very first picture of the promise of the gospel. In fact, they've actually coined a phrase, coined a word that talks about this, the proto-evangelium, that this was the, the prototype of the gospel, that going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, after Satan had tempted Adam and Eve, after Adam and Eve had fallen victim to sin because of their choice, because of their decision to disobey God, and after Satan had tempted them and, and pulled them to make that decision, that then God spoke to Satan and said, and that there will be a fight, there will be division, there will be conflict between your seed and her seed. Now, who is the her that's being referred to here? The her is Mary. The her is talking about the Virgin Mary that will be born many, many years later, who will then come to a place in her life where she will have a child and it will be virgin born. 
And that seed that is referred to, by the way, the King James Version even puts it this way, as does the New King James, that it actually says, and her seed, but unlike it talks about your seed and her seed, your seed, the S is a lowercase, the her seed is uppercase, the S is a capital Y because it's referring to deity. It's referring to her seed, which will be born Jesus, the very Son of God. And so going all the way back to the beginning of creation, God's plan was to send his son to save his people from their sins. And so we see here, this has always been the plan that God had for us. And you think about that for a moment. I mean, like literally just kind of dive in here, if you would, with me for a second and just ask yourself the question, how cool is it to think that at the very beginning of creation, God loved us then so much that he had a plan to save us from our sin. That when God hung the sun and the moon and the stars in place, when God spoke and the animals began to scurry along the earth, when the fish began to swim in the sea, when God created all that there is, his plan was to always have a way. For us to be with him. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So you think about this Christmas gift, this, this picture of God's greatest gift to mankind. So often we, we kind of started at the picture of the manger of Bethlehem. But let's be honest, the greatest gift that God has ever given to mankind was the gift of the gospel that started all the way back at the beginning of creation. It has always been God's plan. But not only has it always been God's plan, it was always God's plan from the beginning. It was for us. Look what it says in verse 21, the second part of the verse, for he will save his people from their sins. We've already read that. But go back to Isaiah, the prophet that was referred to a moment ago in verse 5 of chapter 53. And it says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And so going all the way back to 730, 740 B.C., when Isaiah wrote these words, not only did he talk about the virgin who would have a child, he also talked about the stripes that would be on his back. That he talked about the fact that this child that was to be born of the virgin would one day suffer a horrible death. That he would die that substitutionary death for you and me. Why? Because it had to be fulfilled that he will save his people from their sins. You see, it was a promise from God. And God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, he knew going all the way back to the beginning of creation before anything existed except for him, he knew that we would need a way out. And so God's plan was always for us. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it tells us that not only was God's plan always to save his people from their sins, but it also tells us in 2 Peter 3 that he's not willing that any should perish. Any. That means you and that means me. That means the people in this room, that means the people outside of this room. It means the people that today are kind of wishy-washy in their faith, and it means the people who, who are atheists who will criticize us for even showing up at a church on a Sunday morning. The people who are doing all of the things that we as Christians look down our nose at. 
that we criticize ourselves like these people are so bad and I can't believe they would do this and, and our world has gone so bad and the world is, is just going further and further away from God and all of these people who continue to live lives that are so horrific, God loves them too. And I'm glad that he does because remember there's no degree of sin. And so the sin that I commit and the sin that a Larry Flint would commit before God, we both needed to be saved from. And so, joy to the world, the Lord has come. He will save us from our sins. And the only thing we have to do is believe. Yes, it's God's greatest gift to mankind. Yes, it's a gift that's available to all. Yes, it's a gift that God desperately wants every single person on the face of the earth to receive. But we can't ever lose sight. We can't ever confuse. We can't ever mix up the, the importance of receiving that gift. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, if we believe that Jesus is God's son, if we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, that's the key. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the gospel. That which you also believe that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he rose again according to the scriptures. It's important. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so this picture of joy to the world is a song that the entire world sings. But it's not until we get to the place where we can honestly say, yes, I believe, that we can truly understand and rejoice in the meaning that the Lord has come. So, here's the question. Have you believed? Is that something you have believed? And if not, man, there's never been a better day. Never been a better time than right here, right now, to simply say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He died and that He rose again. So God save me. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the gift of Your Son Jesus who came to take away the sins of the world. Lord, we are so encouraged by the promise that we find in your word, that it has always been your plan to give us a way out, to give us hope. And God, we thank you for it. But God, we also recognize that there's something that's required of us, and that is belief. And so God, if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't believe, has never come to that place where they've said, I believe, someone watching or listening, God, right now, speak to their hearts. Lord, convict them in this moment. Help them to see that they need to make that declaration that they need to make that statement here today in this moment. I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. So God, today, save me through your son, Jesus. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to stand. Our altar's open. Our team is gathering here along the front. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, right now, this is the time. Don't you dare think about going into the next three days of Christmas 
Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day. Don't even think about going and experiencing Christmas again until you have gotten this right, that the Lord has come and he came for you. And so in a moment when we stand together, I'm going to encourage you to walk down these aisles. Come talk to one of our team members here. They'd love to pray with you and share with you about what Jesus has done. If you're watching right now by television, man, wherever you're seated right now, man, just make that decision, make that statement. I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again. And wherever you are, you can pray those words. God, I believe, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. And God will do it. Remember that verse, the promise. She will bear a son and he will save his people from their sins. Today, that might be the prayer that you need to pray. So let's stand together. Let's sing these words. And if you want to meet Christ today, I encourage you to step out. If you want to come down and kneel and pray and you know, recommitment, I encourage you to do that. If you want to come for baptism, come to join our, our fellowship, our family here. If you want to come here just for a prayer request, whatever it might be, I just encourage you right now, step out as Scott leads us this morning. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift. You can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.